The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Thank you, music team. Wow. I don't know if I need to preach. We just did it all. <laughs> Whew. Sermon text is out of Romans 13, 11 through 14, if you'd like to follow along, which I would encourage you to do. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. The word of the Lord. Amen. Somebody's phone. Alarm clock. Alarm clock makes a sound many of us hear every morning. Probably your alarm clock doesn't make that sound anymore, right? Technology has moved us past that into a sort of a soft lullaby that wakes us up in the morning. But those old alarm clocks, when, we, when you hear it, you know the time. Wake up, the clock cries. The hour has come for us to wake from sleep. The night is over. The day has come. Time to put off your night clothes and put on your day clothes. That's the imagery of this text. Wake up. Wake up. Now, concerning this time, you have no need for me to explain more. You are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are children of light, children of the day. Yet, while the spirit may be willing, the flesh is weak, and so we sleep. We sleep. It ought not to be so, brothers and sisters, for we know that the hour has come to awaken. As Paul says, our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first Believed. All history is rushing toward the second advent of Jesus. And yet, and yet it's not the day. Note the text. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's that moment when you look out and you see a thin line on the horizon that tells you the sun's coming up. But you're still smart if you take a flashlight to try and get to the next room. It's not fully day yet. There is still much darkness. The alarm has gone off, and what's the temptation when the alarm goes off? Hit the snooze. But beware. It is the most dangerous button on the planet. I mean it. I'm going to tell you why. It is the most dangerous button on the planet. 
You can, uh, it, it, is, it is more dangerous than the button on the coffee machine. It is more dangerous than the buttons your children push to get you to do what they want. It's even more dangerous than the button that many governments have that will send off a nuclear warhead. The reason is because all of those buttons lead to action. Maybe good, maybe bad, but they lead to action. But the snooze button leads to inaction. And it tells us a lie. It tells us that we have more time. How many, how many more minutes? Eight. Thank you, right. I don't know why eight, but eight more minutes. But Paul says we don't have time. time the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Wake up, sleeper. Don't touch the snooze. We must not hit the snooze button. Don't hit the snooze button on your life. It is of the utmost importance that you awake, arise, and get to work. And here's what Paul says we need to do. We need to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's an interesting phrase that he uses there. You're throwing off the night clothes, and what are your day clothes? They're armor. Paul doesn't have in mind an easy morning with a cup of coffee and your favorite breakfast and then into the car and a nice drive to the office where everybody gets along because it's Christmas season and you get your work all done on time and go back home and rest in the jacuzzi before going to bed at night. <laughs> you don't need armor for that, do you? No. Paul says when you wake up and when you open the front door, there is a war that's going on. Now, for some of us, that war starts with the coffee or the breakfast or the drive or the work or whatever. But there's a war. And so we put on armor. That is what we are to wear. In fact, that's the Greek word that Paul uses. It means weapon or armor, some kind of thing that you're going to do battle with. And this war that we're fighting is against an insatiable enemy, an enemy who will never be satisfied, an enemy who will never be satisfied with any amount of chaos, any amount of wickedness, any amount of foolishness. Our enemy will not be satisfied. This is a long-term battle. And the text gives us some categories of this battle. In fact, Paul has helpfully put them in three couplets in verse 13. Orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. And I'm going to label these just for our help. Sins of the mind, sins of the body, and sins of the heart. First of all, he speaks of sins of the mind. Now, Immediately when you read the word orgy, you have in mind some kind of a disgusting sexual party, which is true, but it's deeper than that. The idea is the idea of partying in a mindless way. It's not simply that you went to a party. It's not simply that you got into sexual activity. It's a, it's a mindset that, that um, loses control of itself. The point of these parties is to be out of control. That's what Paul's talking about out-of-control partying, which goes along with his next part of that couplet, drunkenness. 
a mind-altering thing, right? Alcohol has a way of altering the mind. You begin to do things that you would never have dreamed of doing when you were in a more sane mind. They put you in a different state of thinking. That's why I call these sins of the mind. They're intended to be putting you out of control and just doing whatever you want to do. You must cast off the sins of the mind. Then there's sins of the body. Sexual immorality is probably fairly self-evident. Engaging in sexual conduct with people you shouldn't be in ways that you shouldn't be. Sensuality might not be quite as well known. It carries the idea of an outrageous behavior. A bold, outrageous behavior. Something that should shame a person that they're doing with their body. But, it, but they're not ashamed of it at all. They're going to stick it right there in your face. You must cast off these sins of the body. And then the third category are sins of the heart. Quarreling is a heart attitude. I know it comes out in doing something, right? <laughs> but quarreling is a heart attitude. And the heart attitude is this, that there are a claim to two things. First of all, that what you think must be right. That's one of the claims of the quarrel. What I think, what you think must be right. What I think, not what you think. <laughs> and the second claim is that what you think matters most. That's why people quarrel. First of all, because they believe that what they think is the most important and secondly, that right now is the time to argue about that. Quarreling. The other one he lists is jealousy. And it, has, uh, it actually has two co-workers, envy and covetousness, that work overtime on our heart. It's a hard attitude that also has a claim. And jealousy's claim is to someone else's things, abilities, or emotions in its negative context. There's a positive context of jealousy, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying you want stuff that doesn't belong to you. You want people that don't belong to you. You want emotions that are not yours. And you get angry about it and you're jealous. It's a hard attitude. You must cast off the sins of the heart. Now, lest we think this was a sermon for everybody out there, it's for us because every one of us can drift or dart into any of these three categories of sin. With what the world puts out there for us, it's not hard to do. Click of a button. Turn of the steering wheel. Will put us in these situations. They are works of darkness and they must be cast off. But as with all of life, there's only two options. So if we're going to cast off one thing, we must put on another, right? You get up in the morning, you take off your pajamas, but you don't go out the door that way. Nakedness is not one of the options. You put something on. What do we put on? Well, he says, put on the armor of light. But notice in verse 12, he says, put on the armor of light. But drop down to verse 14, after he's defined this, these sin categories, um, he says, but put on what? Or who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the armor. And then make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus Christ is 
the armor that we were to put on. Now, what does that mean to put it on? What does it mean to put on Jesus? Well, it is, it is in, in essence, becoming one with him. When the soldier puts his army on, armor on, he's, he's, it's one with him. It's a part of him. If we're to put on Jesus, he has to be not separated from us, but as one. We just sang about it. We sang about this great mystery a little earlier. Thou, my great Father, and I, thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I in thee one. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit would teach us that he is indwelling you to make you one with Christ. But if by the indwelling Spirit you're one with Christ, why must you put on the armor of light? Why must you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I said it earlier because the Spirit is willing... The flesh is weak. This has to be done daily. Otherwise, we fall asleep. So you see, we have a task to do. You must not press the snooze button, for the hour has come to wake from sleep. Wake up, O sleeper. Now, how will we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to give us a a way to do that today. There is a learning system called See, Say, Do. I'm not going to give you all the details of that as an educational system. I'm just going to say that we can apply that to putting on Christ. See, Say, and Do. The first is See, S-E-E, See. Take in the scriptures regularly. Read them over and over. Because herein are the words of life. This is life. Read your Bible. For we need to see God's written revelation to us every day. Otherwise, we will quickly begin to drift or dart to the darkness. Say, prayer. Prayer is our conversation with the very creator of the universe. He has has made the way and welcomed us to talk to him. We ought to take advantage of that. Prayer is also our call for help to our loving Father, one who cares, one who knows of our struggle, one who knows when our hope is lagging and will bring hope to us. And it is also our expression of thanks to a generous God who has given us so much. Don't forget We just celebrated Thanksgiving. If you would put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you must see, read the Bible, and you must say, pray. The last one is do, D-O. We must work the works of the Father. Jesus says something very astounding in John 14. It's recorded in John 14, 12. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's astounding. Think of the things that Jesus did. And he says, if you believe in me, you're going to do these kinds of works. But that's not the end of his statement. Do you remember what the rest of it says? This is even more astounding. Think about this. He says to sinful, rebellious people who he must redeem with his very death on the cross that if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do and 
Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. To put that in context, when you go out this week and you do the works of the Father, whatever that may do, be, however you live your life in such a way that God is glorified, you are doing an even greater work than Jesus did while he was on earth because he was confined to the body that he had. That's why he is, one of the reasons he ascended was in order that he might send the Spirit who would indwell every one of us so every one of us would be doing the works Jesus does and did. And so those works will be even greater. But you can't, we can't do that when we're sleeping. We don't do the work when we're sleeping, do we? If you'd put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you must do the works of the Father. Well, there, I tell you, say, see saying do, but now we're going to put a little bit of meat to this. Because during this Advent season, you have the opportunity to join together with your sisters and brothers at St. James Bible Fellowship and here at Durkeytown Baptist Church to see, say, and do. One of the things that we've, we've got to really keep moving forward in is community. I don't mean like fellowship meals where we get together and we chat and we eat food. We do that pretty well. But becoming of one mind because we are reading the scriptures together, we are praying together, we are working the works of the Father together. So think about C. I want, to, I want to exhort you to join in the reading of Scripture with our church this Advent season. Perhaps you're already doing that, but if you're not yet, I want to encourage you to do it. Now, don't, don't, don't neglect whatever your devotional or study reading is out of the Bible, but if you will note at the bottom of um, the bulletin, actually on this whole page, there's all kinds of Scripture texts. You'll see the ones that we read today, and at the bottom, you'll see the ones for the next week. So some of you aren't following that, I can tell, because you're getting it out to see where that is. <laughs> Here's what I would encourage and recommend that would draw us in that mysterious way that the Spirit does it together. Take the Scripture text that we went through today and just read them through, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, each day. Just read through them. And then maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, get out this bulletin and begin to read through the texts for the next week. It'll do a couple things. Number one, the whole church will be reading the same scriptures together. It will, it will begin to unite us in that way. Also, it will prepare your heart towards the things that are being done here on Sunday morning. I was a track athlete. I ran the 110-meter high hurdle race. I got to thinking about this. What if... Through the entire week before race day on Saturday, I practiced like for the two mile. I get all long distance running and all of that, and I was up for the two mile. And Saturday, I get up there, and they've got 110 meters down that way with 10 hurdles, 36 inches tall, that I have to get over faster than everybody else. And I haven't prepared for it, have I? If, it's the, if the slowest guy can win it, maybe, but. But that's what we do so often. We have our own reading program. We have our own study. We have all the stuff that we do during the week. And we get here on Sunday, and all of this is brand new to us. I want to encourage us to be in step with one another and the Spirit throughout the week so that when we come Sunday, we have a heart well prepared to worship and to hear 
the sermon. In fact, you might even, as you're looking through the sermon text, have questions, things that you're wondering about, that the sermon may well answer, which will just help you even more to hear and listen to the sermon. I encourage you to use that and to pray, as well as coming and listening to the preaching of the Word. Say, we have uh, providing an opportunity for you to pray as a church. I already mentioned this during the Advent season. Don't neglect your personal prayer times, but the chapel is going to be open Monday through Saturday, beginning tomorrow, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., your opportunity to come pray. Now, what I would encourage you is if you don't do that thing normally, then do it. But again, be careful not to make it just your own private little thing. Invite somebody to come with you or meet you there. I'll meet you there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and we'll, we'll pray together. Because that will begin again to, to draw us together and unite our minds and our hearts. The chapel's open. There will be prayer guides available to help you as you pray through Advent as a penitential season of watchful expectation. And we're calling it a prayer vigil, not because you are going to pray all night or you have to be there all night, like vigils sometimes are, but the idea of the word vigil is a wakeful watchfulness. Come with anticipation. And I'm going to encourage two things. I'm anticipating. I'm trying to anticipate this Advent season. One is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want him to come. Hymn of Heaven. This became my favorite song last week, because that's when I first heard it, at a different church. I was sad. I wanted to hear it here first, but that's my own emotional issue. So, <laughs> But did you, did you hear the cry of hope and longing for Jesus to return? The second thing I'm anticipating is a, a work of God in my life and in our community that... Um, I don't, even know what, I don't even know what to call it because I don't know what it's going to be. I'm just anticipating something that's very clear that God is at work. Come and pray with wakeful watchfulness. And then do. You have the opportunity to do the works of the Father. We have a new local crisis pregnancy center, Next Steps, that's providing services and material goods to women and families in need. And starting next week, we will have baby bottles available for you to help. Now, this is one thing to do, but that's one thing to do as a church together, as the people of God together. And so um, pick those up, fill them up, bring them back by January 8th, help out the ministry. But don't stop there. Begin to ask God, what else would you have me do? Maybe it's volunteer to help them. Maybe it's volunteer with another organization. Maybe it's things within the church here that are opening up that you can work at. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you must see, read the word of God, say, pray to God, and do the works of the Father. And as we together observe the tradition of lighting the Advent candle, another together thing we're going to do, and as we together say a prayer following that, let us commit this Advent season to put on the Lord Jesus Christ together. Father, thank you for this word, a word of hope. 
And as we light a candle, the candle of hope, would you stir up hope in our hearts? For some here, it's been a long time since hope has been a reality. For some, it's at the beginning stages of failing. For others, it's strong, even overwhelming. Would you meet us where we're at, Father, by your Spirit? And might we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, for the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org.